Hey, what's going on there, everybody? Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. I'm Eric Nemchak. Uh, Steven and I, Steven Drinkwald, my partner, uh, we decided to do something a little different. We are talking about a handful of MVP candidates today. Steven, would you kind of like to give the listeners a little bit of an overview here? Sure. We wanted to just kind of check in a little bit with um, some of the, I guess, leading MVP contenders, you know, uh, players we expect to be in the race or, or players that uh, are definitely kind of making their their case right now. Um, so there's, you know, five or six players that will go through kind of what their resumes look like to this point where we expect that to go from here. And then I guess uh, towards the end of the show, maybe provide a little bit of an order of kind of where we think things stand to this point. So Eric, where, where should we start off? Well, before we start, I just wanted to say one thing. Um, the stats that we're using or, or the games we're basing this off of, because we record this on a Sunday. Um, some of these candidates did play today. Um, we are not factoring that into our discussion. So just pretend like it happened at the end of last week, basically. Is that right? Yeah, at least from like a statistical, you know, points per game, like their true shooting, stuff like that. Those statistics won't be, uh, I guess, you know, part of this discussion. But, you know, if we, we if you wanted to talk about Brianna Stewart's game today or something like that, I, okay. I think that, that's fair game. Okay, fair game. All right. Uh, let's get started then. Um, the first player we have in our notes is uh, is Asia Wilson. She's the reigning MVP, obviously, with the Las Vegas Aces. Things are looking a little different for her this season. Um, a couple stats really stand out to me, but uh, Stephen, what stands out to you about Asia the most right now? Well, we can just go, I guess, a little bit high level. Uh, she's at 18 and a half points per game right now on a career high in true shooting, uh, 587 true shooting, which is pretty good, 83rd percentile in the league. Eight rebounds, three and a half assists, which I think is an outstanding number for Asia Wilson. Uh, 1.7 stocks and 1.6 turnovers, playing 32 minutes a game and six free throw attempts per game in the 89th percentile in free throw attempt rate. Uh, You mentioned some things stuck out to you, Eric. What sort of jumps out with Asia Wilson? Well, the first thing is that she like never misses free throws anymore, which is part of the reason why her true shooting percentage is so high. Uh, which is awesome. I mean, that's that's MVP caliber stuff right there. 57 for 60, which is 95% for Asia. Um, the previous three seasons, she was at 77, 79, and 78%. She's blown those those numbers away. I think there's some room for a regression there. But I mean, part of the reason for her efficiency is that she's like not missing her free throws, which is awesome. And the other thing is, you already mentioned it, the assist to turnover stuff. Um, not I'm not enormous numbers, but again, for her, they're very, they're very, very good, as you alluded to. So I think it kind of speaks to, or at least that does, how different the Aces roster looks this year compared to last year. Yeah, and her usage is way down. It was a great point that you made about the uh, her free throw shooting. And, you know, even if there's a little bit of regression, I don't think we're going to see her, you know, end this season in the high 70s. You know, maybe it'll be if she, if she goes really cold from here on out, maybe she'll end up in like the mid eighties or something, but just that improvement alone is really kind of driving up her uh, total efficiency uh, as you were saying. And then, yeah, the, you know, she's still turning it over at a really great rate or, or not turning it over, I guess I should say. Um, and when you factor in, you know, not really turning it over a ton with her increase in playmaking, I mean, that's, that's a really valuable player. one who is showing that with all these, integrations into their roster you know Chelsea Gray, Liz Cambage, stuff like that you know she is her her personal game is not really taking any kind of a hit for her, even if her usage is a little bit lower than it was in years past. No Asia Wilson is the type of player who she doesn't need the basketball on every single possession to be effective. I think there are a couple numbers here that maybe that maybe don't tell the whole story about her and the one that the, the or the one that I want to really talk about would be or the two I guess would be her defensive playmaking. She's only got four steals and 13 blocks on the season, which is 
is is significantly down for her um pretty much for her entire uh comparing the season to her previous three seasons but I don't think that paints a picture of how good she's been defensively like just because she's not making the plays on defense doesn't mean she hasn't already been really really good defensively now such a such a hit in defensive playmaking may hinder her in a defensive player of the year campaign but I think she's been like the the best defensive player on, on one of the best defensive teams do you yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Like her okay. stocks or whatever, like it definitely undersells how valuable she's been as a defensive player. Um, and that, you know, might play into it, like you're saying, in, in some of the voting, you know, uh, voters kind of looking at some of the numbers and stuff like that. Like nothing really pops out in that regard, but she's been, I think, an all-league type defender this year for sure, yeah. in my opinion, at least. No, I agree. I totally agree with you. Um, and the other thing I kind of wanted to talk about here is that, uh, as I as I said previously, the Aces look a lot different than they did last year when she pretty much carried the team uh, to a finals appearance in her first MVP award. They've got Liz Cambage back at center. They brought in Chelsea Gray, Angie McCaudry out for the season. So it, it looks a lot different. The roster does. Um, I, I think there's, there's always going to be some uh, some discussion on whether Asia Wilson is better with or without Liz Cambage. One of the things we talked about last season is that her numbers with or without Cambage were like exactly the same, but um, her stats look a lot different this season. And there's some good and some bad as far as the MVP is concerned, but I think she's pretty clearly been the Aces' best player this year, where in years past it may not have been the case, at least with Cambage on the team. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And, you know, like, like you're saying, from a statistical standpoint, you know, she's averaging like a full two fewer points per game or whatever. So, uh, you know, she's not at that nice kind of round 20 points a game that she was at her, uh, her MVP season. Um, but she's, you know, there hasn't been, uh, you know, outside of taking, you know, two, two less shots a game and, and converting half of those, I guess. Um, she, she's been, I think every bit as impactful and she's been the ACE's best player. And, uh, uh, ESPN's Kevin Pelton. This was as of a few weeks ago, and obviously with small sample sizes, things can change really quickly. But you know, he laid out that with some stats that uh, he was provided by uh, WMBA.com that like you know with Cambage off the floor, like Asia was even better than than so. So I guess there is you know from a statistical standpoint, you know she she's scoring more points, stuff like that. So she is has been better with Cambage not there than, than with Cambage on the court. But I mean, Cambage is playing, you know, like 20, 22 minutes type numbers. So it's not right. really like the impact that those two players are having on this team are not equal. And that's another good point. Uh, I, I think Cambage is still getting her, her conditioning back. And I don't think she's ever going to be like a, the type of horse that Asia Wilson is as far as heavy usage, heavy minutes, night in and night out. But yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting here, uh, continuing this discussion about and if i could just if, let me just jump in real quick if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's to bill's credit you know he he has kind of the infrastructure to where he doesn't have to play uh liz cambage you know 32 minutes a game like like he plays asia wilson and you know like hamby was playing last year so if you can if your bench is able to kind of sustain that and you can you know put a liz cambage or last year an angel mccautry on that type of minutes plan and still have team success you know for all the things that Bill Lambier gets uh, criticized for. This is definitely a credit in his favor. Absolutely. And you're seeing it this year with, with Cambage, but Derek Hamby as well. Because she's, I believe, what do they call it? Like injury management or something like that. She's only played, she's been firmly at like 22 to 24 minutes per game, like every game this season. So, and they're still having success. So absolutely, you're correct. Kudos to Bill Lambier on still getting the most out of his team while limiting the minutes of his superstars, presumably to keep them fresh throughout the season and for a finals run. But as I was going to say, um, Asia, one thing I know you have in your notes as well, she won MVP last season. 
she's arguably been a better player this year than she was when she won MVP. Maybe two-pronged question here. One, does the lack of raw per game – I don't want to say lack, but does the decrease in raw per game stats hurt her in this regard and repeating? And does voter fatigue hurt her? Because that's kind of been a thing. Yeah, I, I think historically you, you have to say like, you know, it's, it's so hard for a player, even if they didn't just win the previous season, but if they had ever won before to win a second MVP. So I think, you know, she's definitely got an uphill battle. The WNBA MVP a lot of times goes to players that, that we'll get to later on in this list that kind of fit a little bit more of a narrative of, of what, uh, you know, the league MVP looks like in terms of maybe your team has surpassed expectations or it's sure. your turn to win the award. Um, but I think, you know, from a statistical standpoint, like I, I think in my opinion, you know, if you remove kind of the context of everything else around, which, you know, you can't do, but this is like an MVP type season, I think, like we're saying, it, it's just as good as uh, her last season. And I think um, as, you know, some other teams are kind of Connecticut, for example, they're, they're going to be missing John Quell. Jones and even her MVP case uh, kind of removing from that, but just in the standings, you know, the, the Vegas aces are probably going to climb uh, into one of those top two seeds. So right. that's obviously kind of more of a, um, an argument in, in her favor, but I think, you know, she's arguably the best player on, on arguably the best team. And, you know, if it wasn't for kind of those other things, you know, I think, I think a case would be there for her, whether or not she would be like the number one choice, you know, well, I guess we'll wait till the end of the show for that. But, um, you know, she's having a, a, an MVP type season, I guess. Yeah, MVP type season, MVP type numbers on a very, very good team, neither of which we think is going to change by the end of the season unless something crazy happens. So I don't think you can rule out Asia. I don't think she's the favorite at this point, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that at the end of the show, like our, our MVP rankings. Um, and I guess, else? Like, yeah, quick kind of like, you know, brief, you know, I mentioned some of the. Th- you know, she's the best player in the best team. Uh, she, she's been better than her MVP season type case for uh, the MVP type things. But the case against maybe is that, you know, she has this kind of stacked supporting cast, you know, just from a talent perspective. And, and some people can buy into that argument. Some people probably don't. But, you know, playing with two all WNBA players, you know, arguably kind of playing the best basketball of their careers and Liz Cambage is uh, – been when she's been out there she's been very very effective particularly offensively Chelsea Gray I think is playing the best basketball uh, in in years for her Um, so I think the infrastructure around Asia Wilson is very very uh, very strong um, I think so uh, I you know maybe that's not a case against but I think it might be worth discussing when when we're getting to some of these other players you know Stephen sometimes I, I really don't like that so-and-so has more help so-and-so has no help arguments because i i don't i just don't like putting other players under the bus just to prop up somebody else something doesn't sit right with me about that but you're absolutely right particularly regarding chelsea gray because even when cambage and asia were playing together in uh 2019 they didn't have a point guard nearly at, at chelsea gray's caliber or at least what chelsea gray is doing right now so that's something that you definitely need to, t- to take into consideration as well um so that's a good point. Any any closing thoughts before we move on to the next candidate? No, let, let's move on. I think the player we want to talk about next is the player that is probably the favorite at this point in the season, and that would be John Quell Jones, whose team played their first game without John Quell today, uh, a pretty 
uncompetitive game, I guess. <laughs> it went it, as expected. Yeah, it went as expected. That's a great way to put it. As she misses a couple games for uh, Eurobasket. Her statistical uh, profile, I guess her candidacy, 21.5 points per game on 684 true shooting, just an outstanding number. Uh, the most efficient high usage player in the league right now. 95th percentile in true shooting, 10 and a half rebounds, three assists, three turnovers, and two and a half stocks, uh, 2.7 stocks, I guess. Um, she's at a career high in 26% usage. That's in the 90th percentile, good for 10th in the league. Uh, she's playing 33 minutes a game. And offensively, defensively, she has been arguably you know, the most impactful player in the WNBA this season. Yeah, with John Quall, I think... She's, she's my favorite at this point, but again, that's something I, I keep bringing up favorites and rankings, but we'll, we'll do that later um, for, for two reasons. One, if, if Asia is, is, a, is a candidate because she's putting up MVP numbers on a really good team, John Qual is an MVP candidate because she's putting up really good numbers on a really good team that not a lot of people expected to be really good. And that you're, when you talk about the narrative, that means a lot in MVP voting. You mentioned the numbers. There is absolutely no reason why those aren't MVP type numbers, especially the true shooting. Oh my God, 68.4%. That's really, really good. Um, and also like when you talk about why the Sun are having success, this is kind of why I, I brought up the has help or doesn't have, have help. That's, that's something I don't usually like to do. But if I can kind of repackage that, uh, that phrase into something more diplomatic, I think if you take John Cole Jones away from the Sun, which, for the sake of this argument, is, is going to happen and has already happened uh, for at least a few games. The Sun would take the biggest hit than if you replaced or took away any other player from her respective team that we're going to be talking about today. And I don't think you can just totally rule that out, Stephen. Yeah, that's it's an interesting argument. I mean, I guess with this specific kind of body of, of healthy players, you know, you know, because we saw this team without John Quill Jones last year, and they were pretty good. Um, but now they don't have Alyssa Thomas on top of that. Um, so, you know, I guess the other one that jumped out to me would be like a Brianna Stewart, like, I don't think they're kind of the best team in the WNBA from a record standpoint, if Stewart isn't there, but they do still have another MVP candidate in, in exactly. June Lloyd. But those two players are kind of so intertwined and sort of, sort of what makes that team successful. Whereas John Quill Jones is kind of, you know, I mean, Dewana Bonner is a great player. Bree Jones is a great player, but she is kind of the alpha and omega at this point for what is really driving a successful offense and defense for this team. And a little bit more into kind of the statistical standpoint, 49% from three, 60% from two, and then 81% from the line as well. Like there's, there just hasn't really... Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, some of those numbers are a little bit over any player's head, you know, 49% from three and the type of volume that John Quills uh, has here. But uh, you, you said it well uh, in terms of like she she has a little bit of kind of the storyline going for her in terms of this team is better than most people thought they would be, at least with John Quill here. And, you know, she is going to miss some time. I think how much time she misses is really going to have like a, a big impact on whether she'll still be kind of in the candidacy candidacy for this award you know if she misses six or seven games you know that might be enough to just kind of take her out of the running but if she misses four games let's say maybe like the minimum amount to be expected and then the team struggles in those four games she comes back there they kind of hit the ground running again she hits the ground running again and they're still in contention for maybe like the third seed or something like that you know I think that that's kind of like the bare like the threshold probably of what can kind of keep her in this race with this time missed. 
Okay. And now to be fair to John Cole Jones teammates, how the sun, the, 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 the formula for success that the sun have had, which is, is defense, you know, most they're a defensive minded team that has, uh, they can struggle scoring the basketball. It's, it's not, it's never going to be, it's never going to lean on any one player, at least as far as building a good defensive team, but on offense, I mean, if you take John Paul Jones out of the equation that you're, you're one, you're taking maybe the best offensive rebounder, one of the best offensive rebounders in the league out of the equation, you know? Um, and then on defense, you know, you're, you're taking somebody out of the equation who, and, and you want to talk about this, who is a good both one-on-one defender and roaming defender. So even though she's not guarding the oppo- the opposing players, the opposing team's best player, um, her absence, it, it really forces the Sun to kind of shuffle things around. So when I say that, you know, the, the Sun would take a huge hit, there's no one that can really replace what John Cole Jones does. And at the other hand, other teams would still have avenues to turn to with their, uh, without their respective MVP candidates. I'm not sure the Sun have such an option. Yeah. And, you know, I, I agree with you in some ways that this is definitely a defense focused team. You know, they're, they were third in defense coming into today, but they were also a top four offense before this game. Uh, 103.7 coming into today and then against Seattle, who, you know, I think maybe has a reputation as a, a good defense in, in years past, but has not been an elite defense. But Connecticut only posted an 88 offensive rating today. So, I mean, I think that's illuminating for kind of what we can expect in this time without John Quayle Jones. I mean, she just does so much in terms of a lot of their offense is relying on uh, offensive rebounding, right. uh, on her shooting you know, 50% from three, they, they don't really have another plus shooter for their position outside of John Quill Jones. So, you know, I, I think in, in some ways this team maybe will be able to, and I mean, we didn't see it today because they allowed a 117 defensive rating against Seattle, but I, I feel like maybe this team can kind of survive a little bit more on defense because it's so much more ingrained in their identity than they can on offense, where I just don't, don't think they're going to have really enough ways to go offensively. Uh, without JJ in the lineup, well, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't really talking about offensive rebounding when I when I said that, but but you're you're right. I mean, offensive rebounding that's that's a huge source of their offense, and a huge part of that offensive rebounding is John Cole Jones. So she ties directly into it. Um, and just a, a couple more, I guess. Um, you know, she outside of Jewel Lloyd, you know, she's the only player over sixty percent true shooting that we'll be talking about today. Um, thus far, you know, before today's game, which as I mentioned, eighty-eight offensive rating, so uh, the the numbers weren't helped too much by, by today's game, but they have a 110 offensive rating with JJ on, which uh, is just an outstanding number uh, and a 79 offensive rating with her off. So the offense, you know, completely falls apart whenever JJ can't, you know, whenever she's not out there. And like, like I said, we saw that today. So, I mean, for you, is there kind of like, uh, I mean, what, what are you expecting kind of this race to look like, you know, if, if she misses five games, can she still win this award? Yes. But only if, like you said, the, she comes back and the Sun absolutely kill it. This is, I think, a, a great, um, you know, on-off isn't everything. That, that can be a pretty noisy stat. But here, I think it, it, it holds a lot of weight. And it, it really speaks volumes as to how the Sun are with John Cole on the court and how they are without her, without her on the court. And this isn't just going to be these, – these next few games aren't just going to be like, hey, she's sitting on the bench for a few minutes and then she's – no, no, no. She's missing games. Like, she's not even with the team practicing. So – if they totally go on the tank these next few games with her, her not on the team, and then she comes back and they go on like an eight-game winning streak and still secure a top four seed, then yes, because she'll not only then have the statistical resume, but she'll have the narrative. I mean, let's be honest. This is a narrative award. 
And if part of your case is, yeah, my team was really, really good with me putting up MVP numbers and then I left and they were horrible and then I came back and they were really good again. That's, I mean, that's, that's pretty crudely put, but you know where I'm getting at this, right? Like yeah, there's, that's, it's a huge MVP uh, case. So I think she can still win it. I, I think her, she's the favorite right now, but obviously the Sun are hoping that she doesn't miss that many games for Eurobasket. Yeah, and I think that opportunity will be there. You know, you take a look at the standings. I mean, teams four through 10 are oh, it's all still wide open. between four and six losses. So if nobody outside of Seattle and Vegas, who are kind of the other two teams that are, you know, not right around 500, if, if nobody else kind of delineates themselves, then Connecticut can definitely still kind of hold serve and get to that third seed. Um, and I think, you know, historically – Anything below that third seed, it's, it's just kind of really hard to win the award. And, and even, you know, if you're not a, a top seed, I think every MVP since like 2017 has had the best record in the league. So mm-hmm. I, I think even kind of that uphill battle might be a little bit too much. But, but I think in this specific circumstance where she'll be missing X amount of games and, and then returning and, you know, if, the, you know, like we said, if, if they take off. Uh, any other kind of thoughts on like her, her case for or case against uh, kind of winning this award, you know, outside of the time missed? Not particularly, do you? No, I don't think so. I think we covered it. Uh, okay. Who is the next player you want to talk about? Uh, well, the next player in our notes is Benaja Laney. And this is a player who I think is on here kind of unexpectedly, um, despite the liberty, you know, the liberty, they're, they're kind of been slipping lately, but this is about the, the candidate in particular. Benaja Laney has been even better than she was in 2020 when she came out of nowhere to win Most Improved Player. Yeah, and we are recording this after Connecticut's game, but before the the Liberty game, which um, has has not happened. They're five and four coming into this game against Phoenix tonight. Laney, I think, uh, definitely had early momentum, and I think that that slowed down a little bit. But her overall numbers are still really, really outstanding. 20.8 points per game, just a, you know, just a hair under 21 points a game on 587 true shooting. So still good for, you know, the 84th percentile in the league. Four rebounds, five assists, four turnovers, and uh, 0.7 uh, stocks, all, all those coming from steals essentially. But she's just a hair under 40% from three. She's over 50% from two. 82% from the line playing, uh, I think the highest number of minutes of, of anyone on this list at 35 minutes per game. Uh, maybe Stewart uh, is right around those, those numbers as well. Um, she's got a career high in usage, uh, a career high in true shooting and assist percentage. Um, so, you know, third highest usage in the league. Uh, and we'll talk about number one in a little bit as well. But I mean, she's maybe not the strongest wing argument that we'll even get to today, but definitely worth considering for this conversation. Yeah, she's been killing it. And you mentioned the the usage. I think the Liberty, uh, they're a team that, I don't want to say we didn't expect Benajelani to be here, but we didn't expect her to be here. (laughs) And it's because she has really taken on so much of of what the Liberty have been good at. You know, they, they, they miss Natasha Howard. Sabrina Unescu has been dinged up. They, they've had some contributions from their other players as well. But she has emerged as a true alpha on this young up-and-coming team. And there really haven't been – I mean, she had – she scored 20-plus points in, 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 what was it, her first seven games? She only didn't hit 20 points in her latest game against against Connecticut, who was a, had a very good defensive game plan against her, I believe. So, yeah, I mean, what doesn't Benajelani do? Well, I team? think th- – the, the one thing that's kind of driving her overall efficiency and her scoring efficiency is great. Like I said, 587 true shooting, but kind of her, her just raw like point per possession as a complete offensive player is just, you know, turning it over 
a little bit more than kind of the rest of these yeah, players on this list. True. But obviously, like she has a much different offensive role. She is uh, creating for others in a way that almost nobody else on this list. I don't think anybody else on this list, frankly, is asked to do. You know, she does play with a, a true point guard in Sabrina, but I still think she. Uh, is tasked with reliably kind of generating offense for others in, in a way that Jewel Lloyd, the only other wing on this list, like Lloyd isn't kind of really tasked to do that, I don't think, and, and Laney is. Is that fair? Absolutely. It's completely fair. And and taking that a step further, I mean, the first three players we talked about today were bigs, you know, so, uh, or the first two players we talked about were bigs. And a lot of the other players we're going to be talking about are bigs. So when you compare like positions and offensive roles and all that stuff, I mean, yeah, the turnovers aren't great. And I, I do need to see that those numbers go down for Laney a little bit, but when you consider what her role is and what her position is and, and what the team's offense is, I don't think you can hold it against her as much. Um, yeah. That's what I've got to say about that. Yeah. I guess, you know, the one thing is like, even with her on the court, you know, this team doesn't have great offensive numbers. You know, they're just a 100 offensive rating with her on the court uh, I, like all of these players though it completely falls off when whenever she sits you know I think pretty much all these MVP candidates are kind of really keeping things afloat when they're on the court uh, and the Liberty uh, specifically have a 75 and a half offensive rating when she sits so you know well, that's, she's that's, that's a good litmus, te- litmus test for an MVP candidate right yeah. yeah your team is trash with you off the court but they're really good with you on the court so good job I think, you know, she might be, uh, and and maybe not, but I think she has an argument for being the best defensive player of this group, just as kind of like an individual defender, but you know, that's as a wing. And and I don't think that's impactful as say what Asia Wilson or John Quill Jones is doing, even if like she's better as a wing than they are as bigs, you know, I, I think that the impact that has on kind of your team's success maybe isn't as valuable, you know, maybe, maybe some people don't buy into that, but I think, you know, there, there might be something to be said for that. Uh, How but, about, sorry for interrupting, but I just want to say one thing. How about best defender on your team I rather mean, than best defensive player compared to others? Because then again, you're getting into what, how you can be more valuable at, than, at one thing than somebody is, is of another position, you know? Sure. And I think all three of these players that we've talked about are, uh, certainly fall into that. I mean, maybe maybe Jasmine Thomas can say that over, over uh, JJ, but I think even still, you know, John Quell, um, with her, you know, roaming plus individual defense is maybe a little bit more valuable than kind of mm-hmm. just being a great point of attack defender or something like that. And then the defensive rebounding, of course. Yeah, and then the rebounding, sure. Um, but but back to Laney, I, I think, you know, she, I think is probably, I mean, let, let me know what you think about this, but I think she's probably like the sixth best offensive player of the six players we're talking about. Is that unfair? You know, are, is there a not as good offensive player somewhere on this list? No, I don't, th- I don't think it's unfair. And it's interesting you say that because I, I feel like we keep waiting for, for Benajelani to regress. And at some point, we just got to admit, like, hey, she's an amazing player. But I agree with you. She's just not as good on offense as, as these other This is, you know, we're not talking about, like, second team all WNBA here. This is, like, the MVP list. So there's no shame right. in being the sixth best offense. Yeah, no, 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 no shade at all. No, she's been amazing. I, you know, just in terms of kind of overall elements of her case – you know, this team, I think they, they've lost three straight, might be four by the time this episode comes out tomorrow morning. You know, Sabrina's not playing in the, the Phoenix game tonight, which is definitely not going to make things easier for the already struggling uh, Liberty here. Um, you know, they're, they're already kind of right around 500. I, uh, with, in this time, kind of without Howard for the next, you know, month or so, if they're at 500, 
you know, by the time she gets, by the time Howard gets back, you know, I, th- I think they'll be lucky, frankly, with how they play lately. You know, they don't have a ton of front court depth. So I think, you know, Lainey, as, as great as she's been, and she's been kind of worth every, every cent that the Liberty have paid her, obviously, you know, with that contract that she signed in the offseason, she's kind of the one player that I think has, you know, the most likely case to n- not necessarily be in as strong consideration, you know, if we do this exercise six weeks from now. Yeah, I agree. Um, for two reasons. One is the team record, obviously. I mean, you, you, you said it already, but I think the Liberty have a pretty good chance of kind of falling off here, at least with their, with their injuries and you know, no real timetable for those yet. And also, I think Laney herself has, has room to regress a tiny bit. You know, I mean, some of these other players, I mean, they're just so, as you always say, undeniable. You know, but if Laney, Laney's, it's very possible Laney has like two or three poor shooting games in a row. And with as few games as, as the WNBA season has, I mean, that's, that can be significant for someone's MVP candidacy. Uh, one other thing I wanted to add, just in terms of kind of, you know, the, the case that she's sort of making for herself, you know, these are obviously great numbers that, that she has, you know, the, the 21 points a game, essentially the 40% from three, 52% from two, and she's kind of having to do the most for herself. You know, she has the lowest unassisted basket rate of any of these players that should talk about almost half of her baskets are, are coming as unassisted. So she's definitely, you know, kind of uh, getting the ball in her, her hands and, and having to create for herself, I think in ways a little bit more than any of these other players, but that, that's kind of all I really wanted to add. Great point. Okay. Um, moving on to a player. I don't want to say we didn't expect her to be here, but uh, Tina Charles has really been doing some heavy lifting for the Washington Mystics. Yeah, she, I think, has exceeded my expectations. Uh, uh, I'm not afraid to to say that for sure. Uh, 25 points per game, leading the league in scoring by a full three points per game, at least coming into her uh, game today against the Dream. 567 true shooting, which is a career high. Uh, 77th percentile in the league so far. I think it also might be the lowest number on this list, but again, uh, a much larger offensive role than really anybody else in the league, a uh, very respectable number given her, her usage and her role on this team. 34.7% shooting on three so far on some pretty good volume, which I think is encouraging to see. 50% on twos. She's also putting up eight rebounds, two assists, two turnovers, 1.3 stocks in 32 minutes a game here. Um, she's also, I think, the one player on this list that you kind of look at exclusively as a half-court player. You know, she's not really going to kind of give you anything in transition. Only only 6.5% of her possessions are coming in transition, and she hasn't been effective in those possessions. But, you know, regardless of that, she has been just an outstanding player and the lowest turnover rate of any of the players that we'll be considering, which I think is extra impressive considering leading the league in usage. Sure. And that's, that's the argument that you always bring up in favor of Arike Gunbawala as well, that players with high usage rates, you expect, you know, to have their fair share of miscues. But Charles has been very efficient with the basketball, you know, both scoring efficiency and, and overall efficiency, which, and again, I'm, I'm not, you know, Mia Copa, I, I'm not the biggest Cena Charles fan either, but she has been really, really good this year. Um, she just looks rested. You know, she looks, it, it looks like she took a year off and, and came back healthy. Um, discounting the game today in which she shot five for 17. But uh, I think a, a major factor in this research is from Tina Charles is that she's turned so many of those long two point jumpers that we hate into three point jumpers. And that's really buoyed her overall scoring efficiency. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess, reductive to say it, but you know, shooting 
35 to 40 percent on 16 footers 18 footers 20 footers or shooting you know a slightly worse percentage if that on shots that are worth a full point more like obviously you're just going to be a more efficient player and she I mean props to her and props to the coaching staff for kind of getting her these shots at the highest volume of her career you know she's shooting them above the break she shot some in the corner um it seemed like you know the first couple of games uh it was a lot of long twos, but you know, she's, she's still getting 50% of her shots from within five feet. That's kind of where she's been, you know, the last few years. And and it's just those, those longer ones that are, you know, coming from that little line that indicates it's worth a whole point more. And that's driving her efficiency. And I think a way that's really, really outstanding for what, what, you know, not just the, the points, right. And the efficiency and all that stuff, but how it opens up everything for, the rest of your offense, you know, if your, your defender has to kind of help from, you know, 22 feet away from the basket rather than 16, that makes a driving lane for Natasha Cloud or Ariel Atkins that much, that much easier to kind of convert. So, you know, props to Tina Charles. I, if you told me, you know, in early May that we would do an MVP discussion at this point in the year and Tina Charles would, you know, have to be talked about in that conversation, I would say, all right, come on, what are you talking about? I mean, um, but she's, she's been great. This is like, vintage Tina Charles and, and maybe even in some ways, you know, a, a different player in terms of kind of that, that three point element as well. Yeah, I would say so. And you know, her assist numbers aren't really up there, but I think she's been pretty effective at, at finding the open player as well. This is something that we saw at the height of her power, at the height of her powers in New York, you know, when she, um, that I think it was 2016 when she led her team in every category and she had an MVP candidate uh, candidacy just by that alone. She has been, I mean, she's playing for a coach that she, that she, really likes in Mike Tebow and they're, she's playing on a team in way that spaces the floor really well. Um, so it's not really a surprise to me that she's scoring so many points because you figure, I mean, this team, it was missing, it was missing Maisha Hines Allen for a while. Emma Meeseman's still under contract. Elena Daladon still injured, but we don't know when she's coming back. So the team itself has maybe not been that great heading in today. They were four and five. They really got off to kind of a slow start there. They've been playing a little bit lately, but I think as it stands, the Mystics are currently mediocre. And that's ultimately what has, is going to have Tina Charles on the outside looking in at this conversation. But we had to at least mention her because some of these stats, I mean, she's, she's scoring the ball with career high efficiency and volume. So how can we not at least include her, you know? Yeah. And I think maybe, um, and, and just like all these players, you know, 103.7 offensive rating with Tina Charles in the game, they have a 75 offensive rating when she sits. So very, very dependent on, on uh, what she brings. But the other thing is, you know, I'm still, you know, not 100% sure that she's the most impactful player on this team. You know, Ariel Atkins, in my opinion, is having a season that, honestly, you know, if this was uh, a better team, maybe she would be in this conversation as well. You you just kind of, you you just look at her statistically and you're like, what is the separation between Jewel Lloyd getting MVP type hype and Ariel Atkins not getting that, you know, when, I mean, she's, uh, Atkins is, is, you know, 18 points a game on some of the highest efficiency in the league and obviously an all-world defensive player. So, I mean, if Atkins is having, continues to have the season that she's having, I would expect her to make an all-WNBA team, you know, not just all-defense, but all-league. And you're, if you're asking me kind of which player is going to be more effective in like, you know, a, a, a five-game series, no matter who the opponent is, I, I just like Atkins options uh, you know her I like her odds a little bit better than Tina Charles who I think you know certain teams are, are just going to give you 
a better chance to win against Tina Charles and others where Atkins is just kind of more malleable and, and an, an awesome player in her own right. Okay. And that, that is a fair point. Ariel Atkins has really been on fire since that slow start. Um, and she does, as you say, contribute at an elite level on both ends of the court. And yeah, I mean, I, if the season ended today, I'd vote her first team all WNBA for certain, but um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the mystics, they're not that great. I, I think there's room for them to improve, but Still bottom half of the league is even if you adjust for, you know, shooting luck or, or what have you. So, yeah, I don't really have anything else to say regarding Tina Charles. Okay, cool. So we have two more players we want to talk about, both of uh, both of whom play for the Seattle Storm. Who do you want to start with? Uh, let's start with Brianna Stewart because I think she is a player who we expected to be on this list. Everyone, mostly everyone expected her to be on this list, although she might not have the best case uh, of any player on her own team. Yeah, and it's... Um... Amazing to say when you just kind of look at the the raw numbers, it's a, a bit of a down year for Brianna Stewart. Yeah. Uh, 21 points per game on 553 true shooting, which 553 true shooting would be a career low. I think oh, I mentioned. Slacking. Uh, I think I mentioned that Tina Charles was the lowest on this list. Uh, Stewart would actually be the lowest on this list, and that was before today's game. So I'm not sure what uh, you know what it kind of looks like after that win against Connecticut, but. Um, you know, the, the true shooting still 71st percentile. So certainly, you know, respectable enough, nine and a half rebounds, two and a half assists, just a tick under 35 minutes per game. She is fifth in usage, cutting her per game turnovers in half from last season, just 1.3 per game, but also a full assist down from last season in terms of her per game numbers. Um, she's fifth in minutes played. Uh, and really, I think the the one thing that's kind of holding Stewart back just from like a normal kind of statistically amazing Brianna Stewart season is she's only shooting under 33% from three and she hasn't finished below 36% since her rookie season. So definitely kind of a, an abnormality for her to be this low. You know, it's interesting watching Stewart this year and obviously this, the statistics are still really good, which is it's kind of funny how we're talking about her being, you know, this is the down year for her when any other player, this would be a, a heck of a, like an amazing season, but it just seems to me like she's she's missing a lot of short that she, shots that she normally makes as far as wide open three pointers. I, I see her go one for two from the free throw line a lot, which is I mean, it's kind of weird. That's not yeah. you know that's not going to make or break an MVP case, but her her free overall shooting is down. But yeah, seventy seven percent from the line is definitely a lower number than you would expect from Brianna Stewart. Yeah, so I, I don't know. She just doesn't seem like she has. She just doesn't seem like she's been has been impact as impactful as we used to seeing from her. And, then, and maybe this is, it's, it's tough to say that like in a vacuum, like, um, you know, this is, this is still an incredible player. This is still a player who is one of the best in the league, but when you're comparing her to other players who are playing, who are at the top of their games, it's, it's hard not to consider that, you know? See for, for me, and maybe this is just kind of some confirmation bias that I have to deal with, but I feel like she's been every bit as impactful and kind of the, the numbers just don't necessarily bear that out. You know, when you look that she's like four for 21 on spot up jumpers or something like, I, I think that she's, she's still driving great offense for this team. She's been arguably their best defensive player, you know, outside of Lloyd uh, and, and obviously those are different positions, but it, when just from like kind of the eye test and how this team plays, it still feels like she is one of the most impactful players in the world and she's just kind of missing. Well, she is. Yeah. I mean, she, she is. And, and that, that's, I guess, kind of, I don't think really at this point, Brianna Stewart has a real case to kind of be at the top of anyone's MVP 
ballot, but she definitely still has a case to make the ballot, right? And when you're voting for MVP, you vote for the whole ballot. Uh, and Stewart, I think, still kind of deserves some conversation to sort of make that list. She's still the best player in the league, you know, arguably the best player on the best team. Um, the, the offense takes a little bit more of a hit when Stewart sits than when Lloyd sits. And, and some of that's probably some replaceability and you still kind of have Sue Bird that you can throw out there when Lloyd sits where, where Stewart doesn't really kind of have that, uh, type of, um, you know, positional, uh, facsimile, I guess. Um, I think she's the most versatile defensive player on this list in terms of being able to kind of switch out of the perimeter, um, and obviously, you know, guard in the post and, and play help defense and stuff like that. And make so, plays just in general. Yeah, make plays, you know, the defensive playmaking for sure. I think she's had some monster blocks this season, which obviously definitely help when people are doing this type of voting. Um, but, you know, I think, I think she kind of had to be mentioned, but I don't really – she doesn't have a serious case to win at this point. At this point. You know, I don't think it would surprise either of us if she just went on a huge tear the second half of the season and, and won this award running away. But as of right now, I – I don't think she's in my top three. Yeah. And honestly, I think, you know, really all that would take would be hitting her free throws and shooting 40% from three the rest of the season. Sure. Having that kind of normalize the opposite direction. And then, you know, that, that efficiency is kind of right where you need it to be. All those numbers are kind of right in line with what you would expect. Um, But let's talk about, unless you had anything else on Stewart, I think let's talk about the player who most people I think would have above Stewart on their ballots at this point. Yeah, let's talk about the other Seattle Storm player, Jewel Lloyd. Um, in my opinion, the best wing player in the league right now. Um, and she's got pretty much everything going for her besides the fact that she's on a um, – she's got a player with another candidate or another uh, another candidate on her team, I should say, in Brianna Stewart. But I think a lot of people would say that Jewel's been the better player. Like, this is, this is, this is where it gets kind of funny because it's like, well, I think Stewart is the better player, but Jewel's had the better year. Yeah, I, think, I mean, I think that's exactly right. Um, and Lloyd's overall numbers, 20 points a game on 613 true shooting, just an outstanding number for a high usage wing, 87th percentile in the league, four rebounds, four and a half assists, two stocks, two and a half turnovers, 41 and a half percent from three, 53% from two, and then over 86% from the line. Those are just incredible numbers. Uh, the balance of you know, over 40% from three and over 50% from two, just really, really great stuff. And then as we talk about it, it seems like every time we talk about the storm in, in any capacity, having just the an outstanding defensive season, a great follow-up to kind of her breakout defensive season, I think last year, kind of proving that that's not a fluke. Um, I thought she did a great, great job on uh, Tiffany Hayes the other day, who I think has been Atlanta's best player. I, you know, it's telling, right? When it, when Seattle kind of goes out of their way to cross match and they're like, you know, we will live with Katie Lou Samuelson guarding Courtney Williams and we're going to put Jewel Lloyd on Tiffany Hayes. Yeah. Um, and I thought she, she did a great job. You know, th- that's, that's a great point that I hadn't considered. Uh, not every player on that we've talked about is necessarily defending the other team's best player. And that's, you know, that, that, that can get kind of, uh, that, there, not everything is hinges direct on that, you know, for example, John Cole Jones, it, it, it it betters the team if she's roaming on defense rather than just guarding the opponent's best player. But when you have a player who's as efficient and as dynamic as Jewel is on offense, and she's still playing defense at an elite level out there on the perimeter, she's still doing a great job on the other team's best perimeter scorer. That's, that's a huge luxury and, and a huge factor in, in, a, in a conversation such as this. 
yeah and she has and i i think i guess like you know she she's definitely on her way to like an all league team i think you know you said she's the best wing in the league i think she's definitely been the best wing in the league this season um you know i think Atkins is close. Laney is close. Like no disrespect to those players, but I think Lloyd with her ability to be like an elite play finisher and just kind of give you a, a little bit more self-creation than maybe an Ariel Atkins. Right. Uh, I think, you know, a, a little bit better kind of, I guess, finishing like inside than, than Laney has uh, at times, you know, the still over 40% from three, you know, I think I just trust her still a little bit more as a catch and shoot player than, than a Benajah Laney, even despite, you know, Laney having the two great seasons in a row. I guess like the sort of the, the case against her is you can say that, you know, maybe she, even if she's having a better season, you know, she's maybe not the best player on this team. And again, we're talking about Brianna Stewart, maybe the best player in the league. So, so no slight. Right. But, and then outside of Laney, like this list is kind of comprised of like either like inner circle hall of famers or like the best players on a title team. And I'm, I'm not really sure that Jewel Lloyd is the best player on a championship team. Uh, but maybe that shouldn't be considered in like the MVP conversation. Well, that's an interesting point. And, and before I, I address that, one thing I wanted to say, I said I would vote Ariel Atkins as an all WBA player. Now that I think about it, I'm not sure because you have, if, if you're doing it by position, I mean, you've got Lloyd, you've got Chelsea Gray, who's been magnificent. Um, Laney, if you consider her a guard or a forward, I don't know, you know, they, they like to fudge those positions to, as they see fit. So it, it's a, it's a tough call, but anyway, um, that's a good point. However, I would argue that Lloyd is at least closer to that than Laney is because I mean, this isn't like her first good or second good season, you know? And, and also I could see Lloyd having just a, having an outstanding playoff series and, and being the best player on her team in, in like a, in a, in a WMA finals. Whereas Laney, it's like, eh, I don't know if they could do that and still get away with a dub, you know? That's true. Yeah, you could definitely see Lloyd, like, uh, winning a finals MVP, even if, you know, she she doesn't win WNBA MVP or something like that. Yeah, I think uh, she she has a, a real case. And I think if, let's say, you know, things don't kind of shake out in that perfect scenario for Connecticut, uh, and John Quell, you know, the Sun just don't have their they're, you know, top two, maybe top three type seed. Seattle is still just kind of atop the the standings. You know, she might be one of the few end up this season being one of the few kind of wing players to to win this award. It, it doesn't really happen that often. No, it doesn't. And and here's one thing. Okay, so I, I had a thought about this the other day, and I wanted to see what you thought. And this isn't something that maybe is discussed regarding basketball MVP voting as much as it isn't in baseball. So maybe I'm way off base here, but just try that on for size. We, we, we both agree that Lloyd is probably the best wing in the WNBA. Um, I think a lot of people would agree with us. Whereas, you know, the, the gap between, you know, Stuart Wilson, John Cole Jones, I think each player has kind of an argument there regarding, uh, regarding their position to this as bigs. We'll just call them bigs for now, whereas Lloyd is a wing. Having an elite wing is currently less common in the WNBA than having an elite big, right? So is there anything to this? Like it's more valuable to have a, an elite wing than an elite big? I, or could that work against Lloyd and say like, well, maybe she's matched up individually against lesser competition. So I, I think it can like kind of feed both ways, right? Like you, you can say having an elite wing is maybe less valuable than having an elite big, but those elite wings, like you're saying, are so kind of hard to find that when you – when you compare one with an elite big, which are easier, which there are many in the WNBA, as opposed to, you know, there's, you know, maybe three 
of, of a, a jeweloid type or slightly worse in the WNBA. So, so I do think it is more valuable because you're starting with a commodity that's kind of less, you know, a type of player that's so much harder to find where you can give you a little bit of, uh, uh, give you great play off the bounce, give you great play finishing as a jump shooter, give you uh, elite defense like that from that position is, is less common. So I, I think more so towards kind of, I think what you were saying first, like uh, it, it's more valuable to have this because, you know, there are, I mean, what, like eight probably, uh, and I, I'm just kind of doing this off the top of my head, but no less than eight, like sure fire Hall of Fame bigs in the league right now, you know, Sylvia Falls, Candace Parker, like, I mean, the list goes on and on. We we talked about a bunch of them today and those are just a couple we didn't talk about. So whereas like you're saying with the wings, there's, there's just not that kind of depth. So when you have one of those, you're, you just have such an advantage already. And in, uh, I think maybe in the regular season, it it kind of doesn't matter. But as you, as we've seen, when, when you get into the playoffs and, and a team doesn't have an answer for that or can't kind of match that, it's just, it's really, really valuable. Okay. You just want to get your thoughts on that. Again, that's, that's typically something I, I believe is, is valued more in baseball than it is basketball. And positions, are, of course, are hold completely different amounts of weight in, in baseball than they do in basketball. But just wanted to see what you thought about that. Um, any, anything else on Lloyd? No, let's get to kind of where, where things kind of look for us at this point. What, what is your, uh, of these six players, how would you rank them? All right. So I think I, I've got John Cole Jones first, then Lloyd, then Wilson at number three, then Stuart, Laney, and Tina Charles at four, five, and six, respectively. How about you? I think, I think my list is the same as yours. I think I would have Charles above Laney. I think I would go John Quell, Jewel, Asia Wilson, Brianna Stewart, uh, Tina Charles, and then Benajah Laney. I, I think, you know, this is, this is pretty tough, and, um, but I, th- I think that's kind of where I'm at right now. Uh, I guess of those six players, is there anyone that you expect to – to, to drop off or anybody that we didn't talk about that you think is exceedingly likely to kind of hop into this conversation by the time the season's over? Um, I'm not sure how many players are exceedingly likely because I mean, we're already at over a third of the way into the season and a lot would have to happen in the standings for that, for that to happen. And, and I'm not saying it's impossible because someone like, for instance, Sylvia Fowles, you know, the links are getting their, are getting their act together. Um, and Fowles is still, elite at many things i think i could see the links going on like a, a pretty strong mid or late season run especially because you know they, they've had success recently and, and like maybe finishing that top four i don't think it's unrealistic to think that they can leapfrog most of the teams that they're behind right now but then you get into the like the diminishing returns like is, is she the best player on her own team with nafisa collier because their success their recent success has correlated directly with nafisa collier returning with the team whereas Fowles was putting up beast numbers even when the Lynx were struggling. So I don't know about that. And then, you know, maybe someone from Phoenix, Brittany Griner has, is playing the best she's played in a very long time, uh, particularly rebounding the ball. <laughs> I'm not going to let that get past me. She's been pretty good at rebounding. But, um, you know, I mean, is, is she the Mercury's best player? Is, is it plausible that the Mercury are anything better than mediocre for the rest of the season? I don't know. Yeah, Falls is an interesting one. And I mean, I think, you know, with regards to the standings, as we mentioned before, like Minnesota and the Sparks both have five losses and that, that you know, they're two losses away from Connecticut is is the second seed right now and, and Vegas is the third seed and they both have three losses. So it's it's really kind of packed in there. So, you know, these next couple of weeks, I, I think if maybe Minnesota did go on like a monster run, it re- I really have a hard time kind of seeing anybody else 
um, that has sort of that lead candidate. I mean, maybe if kind of New York, you know, does get it back together, um, because I was kind of, you know, over the course of this conversation, sort of discounting Laney, maybe a little bit more than I, I should have. But, you know, I don't think, you know, I think Atlanta's maybe a little bit too kind of uh, balanced with all their, their great guard play. And yeah. um, honestly, with Phoenix, I think if it was going to happen, it probably would have happened already with, with Griner. So uh, maybe, I think Falls is a good one. It, it's hard to really kind of pick another player kind of of that group. Uh, but there, no one really jumps out as, or maybe it's uh, not even Falls, maybe it's Collier. But I, it seems like Minnesota is just kind of too, too balanced for it to be like a, a more so offensive kind of motivated player uh not that mm-hmm. Collier isn't like an all-league defensive player but you, you know what I mean um so yeah I, I guess uh this this list it feels like kind of what we'll be looking at a couple months down the I road I think right? and I know at least some people who are listening to this will say well, what about the wings like the wings have been really fun and yeah I agree the wings have been really fun there's there's room for them to get a lot better but I do not see anybody as the wings on an MVP candidate. It, it would be, I think it'd be Ariki Agunbowale, but it's interesting because the wings are better than they have been previously. But if you look at Arike's individual stats, they're almost completely on par with her career stats, save for the playmaking, which has actually gotten worse. So I don't know how much of a case you would have. Right. You'd really kind of have to just lean on this kind of storyline element of it and not really kind of like look a little bit deeper into what's driving that, because I don't necessarily think it would be outstanding play from, from Arike to be the extra reason why they're being good because, you know, she's, she's kind of the same player she's been. She's right? been doing that regardless. So it, yeah, that's exactly. not really a case. So, okay. Um, any, anybody you'd expect to see fall off? Charles, just because I don't think this team is very good. You know, even if she kind of has the same type of season, you know, I expect them to just be the worst team of, of any of the players that we talked about, right? Like Washington is just not that good. I mean, Laney, especially if the Sabrina injury lingers, like she just has a lot of offensive burden kind of on her shoulders right now. The team has already not been very good. So, so I think really, you know, if, if a month from now uh, and kind of depending on, on what things look like with John Quell, I feel like it's more likely to be like a three player race between you know asia john quell and and jewel lloyd maybe i agree with that those are the two players i thought would be the most likely to fall off um it really does and, and i'm not it's not like i had uh like a criteria like a list of saying okay do they have this do they have this do they have this it, it, it i just instinctively went there because historically as you said that's how this award has, has gone you know you don't give an mvp award to a team that misses the playoffs or a team that's below 500 or anything like that I could very easily see the Liberty slipping like considerably throughout the season. And I'm not sure how much better Washington can get unless, you know, unless Deladon comes back soon and, and they resign me some later and then they go on a huge run. But then even if that happens, how much of that will be because of Tina Charles, you know? So I, I, I mean, never, never mind 500. It's hard to win an MVP if you're the fourth seed, you know, right. Like, this league just kind of, you know, you, you gotta be on one of those double by teams or, Maybe, you know, Elena Deladon in 2015, I think, was the last time a non-two seed even won the award. So that, that was a long time ago. And that award, very driven by narrative. So it, it, all these things need to come together. But I, I'm, I'm pretty, I feel pretty comfortable in saying this. It's currently between Jones, Lloyd, Wilson, and, and maybe Stewart. But pick a storm, you know, Jones, Wilson, and, and one of the really good storm players. Uh, I mean, if if... If we, you know, did this six weeks from now when Brianna Stewart was number one, that wouldn't surprise me at all because, no, you know, no. like I said, it's uh, she, I, in my opinion, has kind of been every bit as impactful. And you just, 
her kind of overall efficiency is just being driven by some uncharacteristically low free throw shooting, uncharacteristically low three point shooting. So you expect those to normalize a little bit. Absolutely. Okay. Um, any other housekeeping before we wrap this up? No, this was fun. I agree. We should do something. Uh, we should do more of these, uh, types of episodes. Uh, let us know what you think. Cause I know this is a, this is always a pretty hot topic and this is a season in which now I think it's, 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 as of right now, when we're recording, I think John Cole Jones has a pretty darn good case for MVP. But by the time she comes back from Eurobasket, it could be that there is no clear front runner. And I like that. I think that's, that's good for the league and it's good for discussion when, when we're talking about things like this. So um, let us know what you think. We, uh, we love the feedback and we love to stir the pot, if you will. Yeah. And just, you know, what, one more, I, to build off what you were saying, you know, I think that the difference between John Quell at one right now and, and two, uh, you know, for us, it was Jewel Lloyd is bigger than the difference between like two and, and four, two or f- two and five, you know, she just has such kind of, I think, uh, uh, a head start on this, but we'll see kind of what everything looks like when she gets back. But uh, with that being said, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can uh, subscribe, rate, review. We're on Apple, Google, uh, we're on Spotify is the other one. You can follow us on Twitter at Double Down WNBA, at Nemchok E for Eric, at Trinkwald for myself. And we won't talk to you next week, but we'll talk to you very soon. All right. See you soon. Stay safe. Stay healthy.